Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Woohoo! And welcome back to Maximize Your Influence, fellow Maximizer. This is Kurt Mortensen. This is episode podcast 341. As together we take a deep dive of the world of persuasion, motivation, and influence, skills that make the biggest difference in every aspect of your life. It's no secret that everything you want is on the other side of persuasion, motivation, influence, even self-persuasion. Today we're going to focus on how choices and giving options to people can help, hurt, hinder, or make you a better persuader. It's going to be a tool that helps you get more yeses in your life. As a parent, teacher, leader, manager, salesperson, it doesn't matter. These skills help you augment anything that you are working on. And that's the goal. That's the key. That's why I'm so passionate about it. We should have learned in school, but we're going to learn them right now. Hope you're having a great week. Things are going well for you. Everyone's happy and healthy. Just want to let you know we are in the middle of June. As we look at this year, you've got to think to yourself, all right, we're almost halfway through. We are halfway through. How are your goals coming along? Did you forget about them? Are you still working on them? Do you need to fine-tune them? Let me share one thing with you about goals. If you don't like that word, use the word target. Because if you don't have a target you're shooting for, you're never going to hit the target. Even if you get close to the target, at least you're closer to the target than doing nothing. Understand, an airplane is off course most of the time. It's fine-tuning, it's fine-tuning, it's fine-tuning. As you look at your goals, same thing's true. It's not set in stone. The goal might be, but how you achieve it is up to you. You might need to fine-tune, do a little more, a little less, find a different mentor, a different training program, try a different way to do it, talk to other people that are doing it, get more feedback, whatever it needs to take, still shoot towards that goal, but you can fine-tune how you're going to get there and what you need to do. A lot of people think, no, I've got to do this, this, and this. If your goal is to lose weight, and what you've been doing for the last few months, let's say, has not been working very well, then maybe, just maybe, you need to fine-tune it. Now, you still want to lose weight and be healthy. That's good. Stick to that goal, but maybe fine-tune a different way to do it, a different person to help you out, a different diet. You know there's more than one diet out there, and it seems, just my past experience in talking to people, that certain diets work for certain people and certain diets don't. Find the one that works for you but stick to your goals. So let's dive into it. Let's get into the persuasion blunder of the week. Our friend Homer, go. Don't, don't, don't. So one of the things I get to do is monitor people who try to persuade. Sometimes it's just for fun. Sometimes I'm paid to do it, whether it be customer service or a sales rep or even CEOs or politicians giving presentations. I've seen enough of these to know what works and what doesn't work. And so I was listening to this telemarketer, and man, do they have a deal. It was kind of a quasi-timeshare type thing. And just for going, just for listening, an hour of your time, you got, for free, a three-day stay in Las Vegas or San Francisco. Now, I think some people are afraid to travel now. That might be an issue. And of course, some cities are under siege. But then I heard the person they were talking to say, oh, wow, I hate Vegas. All the smoke, all the gambling. I don't think so. And then San Francisco, last time I was there, 
with the people on the street and things that are happening and the homeless. I didn't feel safe. Things were run down. I don't like either of those places. And then there was silence, <laughs> complete silence, and this telemarketer hung up on them. <laughs> okay, It's usually the other way around. Usually you hang up on telemarketers. This telemarketer didn't know what to do, didn't know what to say. I don't know if they were trained to do this. They just hung up and moved on. Now, there's one thing to say for telemarketers. All right, they're not interested, move on. But then a couple things, a couple challenges. I see the blunders. Number one, it seemed like they weren't ready for this objection. Took them off script. They had nowhere to go. They didn't have enough skills to know to ask a few more questions to find out. Is that a lie? Is it a knee-jerk reaction? Is that how they really feel? Are they just trying to get rid of them? But they went off script. They didn't have the skills, didn't know what to do, and they hung up. Okay. Now, probably they weren't getting paid that much. They weren't very well trained. But still, when you're following a script, A, it's obvious. B, when people take you off script, there's really nowhere to go. C, when they ask you an objection that you don't have another page for, it throws you off. And it's very, very obvious. So my recommendation is get more skills. Try to learn the script better so you don't have to use it anymore. Don't use it at all. Use bullet points. Be more flexible. And realize that most objections... My research shows around 67% are lies or knee-jerk reactions or trying to get rid of you. When people say it's too expensive, I'm too busy, send more information, lie, 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 you need to dig a little deeper. So that is our persuasion blunder of the week. Don't do that. Get more education. That's why you're here. Pat yourself on the back. Let's get more tools. All about having more tools. This person, the telemarketer, just didn't have very many tools. They could read a script and every once in a while it works. They get paid a little money and that's all they had versus really understanding they could double, triple, quadruple, even 10x what they are doing if they'd get more skills. Which brings us to a timely, geeky, scholarly article of the week. This was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences and done by John Hopkins University. Basically... People cannot see the world objectively. Now, we know that other people can't see it objectively. I can. And that's the problem. People think they're not biased. You cannot not be biased. Everything that goes through your brain is tainted with feeling, with emotion, with bias. That's how it is. And people think, oh, I'm not biased. You cannot not be biased. And that's what this study shows. And that's important to realize we see what we want to see. We hear what we want to hear. Hey, go to a high school football game. And if you can go as a neutral party, just listen. You can sit on both sides if you want. There's this big hit. The sound echoes through the stadium. One side says, oh, cheap shot. Where's the ref that's blind? Where's the penalty, right? Wanting the flag. And then the other side says, oh, that was a perfect. That was a great hit. <laughs> okay, which one was it? Well, they saw what they want to see and they reacted accordingly. That's how we are. And so if you think you're not biased, that you see things objectively, uh, wrong, open your eyes. That's not how it works. So John Hopkins University ran this philosophy experiment, testing our ability to see the world as it is. Because these researchers who study the mind have found methods using cognitive science to test a question we talked about. Can people see the world objectively? And the answer is 100% no. They found it's almost impossible for people to separate their internal reality with physical reality. They did different experiments on people. They showed them different pictures, different things to see if they could look at them objectively versus how they saw the world. And they couldn't help but see them in a distorted way. You see, our brain's not a hard drive. Everything's not recorded. 
fact, a group of psychologists went to this seminar, this training, and two weeks later they were asked what they learned, and half the stuff they brought up wasn't even talked about, but that's what their brain remembered. See, when humans see things, the brain identifies them by combining raw visual information from our eyes with our internal ingrained assumptions and knowledge about the world, whether that be true or right or not, and combines them and taints them, and that creates that bias. Three people see an accident, you get three different versions. Not that they're lying, that's how they see the world. You go to a family reunion and Aunt Edna talks about that one thing you did growing up, you're like, that's not how it happened. But that's how they remember it. Every time we tell a story, it changes, it adjusts. Our brain is not a hard drive. It's tainted with feelings, with biases. That's reality. Own up to it. Bottom line, pure objective is not possible. Everything we see is stamped with our perspective, how we see the world. Even when we try really hard to perceive the world the way it really is, it doesn't work out. I don't know if this is hurting your feelings, but I want to give you a reality check. This is also true for your prospect. What they see and what you see are two different things. What you remember from the meeting, what they remember from the meeting are two very different things. Not that they're trying to lie or put one over on you. That's what they remember. That's why when you do a second or third meeting, you got to review what you talked about last time. Or even better, send out an email. This is what we talked about. Here's our takeaways. So when they read it, it sticks how you remember it and you remember the same thing. So stereotypes affect our perception, especially if people have a hard time seeing people who defy their gender stereotypes or other stereotypes. And the study shows that people perceive things that aren't even there or are there and don't even see them. Maybe you should Google the study of the basketball players and the gorilla where people were counting how the basketball players were weaving it out, how many times they were doing it, and nobody saw this person dressed up as a gorilla, I believe it was. People don't even see it. Now, when you point it out, they see it, but most people just don't even see it. You put people in a room, a dark room, and count the blinking light. They start seeing a blinking light. There's no light. A bear escaped from a zoo in Europe. Oh, watch out for the bear. No, the bear got hit by a train. There was no bear, but people saw bears. So remember, you cannot not be biased. So that's a problem with the media today. People watch the news media that resonates with them, that tells their truth to them, whether it's the truth or not. Do you want to see physical evidence to this? Pick three media sources. Wait for a big political event and watch all three, and you're like, wait a minute, did everyone see the same thing? <laughs> okay. It's truth to them, and they're speaking truth to the person who watches it because we watch the news media that resonates with us the most. So if you really want to know what's going on in the world, you need to look at two or three or four media sources because what you're getting is bias. You have to kind of take a look, get a feel what other people are saying, and meet somewhere in the middle. This is real. I know it's what you don't want to hear, but you have to understand with your prospect of persuasion, what they remember, what they see, what they do is all based on bias. Well, I'm not biased. Oh, okay. Live in your fantasy world. It's how our brain is structured. That's why we're having such a big challenge. The way we define things, the way we see things, the way we perceive symbols. We all define freedom differently. We all define the American flag differently. We all define your country flag differently. And that's the challenge with that bias. Just put it out there, just say an interesting article, kind of a timely thing to talk about right now so we can really understand how the world works and how to become better at persuasion and influence. Next, our listener email from Eric from Tucson. Oh boy! Says, I'm doing really well, learning your persuasion skills. Thanks for the pod class at Influence University. I'm working on my clothes, but I'm getting a lot of resistance right at the very end. Now, I've been working on my demeanor. I know you talked about that, that your demeanor shouldn't change. But what else can I add at that final moment to make sure I get the yes? 
Eric, I haven't seen your clothes. I really don't know. So I'm just getting big picture here. Let me talk about a few things that make a huge difference. I mentioned earlier in the podcast that offering options or choices can be a great help or it can hinder your ability to persuade. Now, options are really good, especially when you're dealing with a strong personality. They're the decision maker. They make the choices. They don't want any help. They want to make the choice. They want to make the decision. Now, this is also important as I teach how to influence up, how to influence without authority, how to persuade when you're not in the position to persuade, when you're not the leader. This is also good to help people make the decisions because they're the boss, they're the leader, they should make the decisions. We'll help them. And you can do that by offering choices and options. When it's done the right way, this could be a powerful tool because they feel autonomous, they made the decision. But what you did as a persuader is you led them down the path to make the choice, you offered the choice, and they chose the choice that you chose. (laughs) Did you get that? So basically, you help them persuade themselves. You let them down the path. You were persuaded them, but they didn't feel persuaded. And that's the key. Because the moment somebody feels like you are trying to persuade them, even though they need it, want it, like it, can afford it, they're going to resist you. And so you have to offer options and choices. So here's some rules. Number one, when you give somebody choices, make sure they all win for you. You don't care which one they choose. You're just happy that they get to choose. If you have a teenager, hey, you want to take out the trash? or do the dishes. Let them choose. Do something. They get to choose. They feel autonomous. They all win for you. You really don't care which one they choose. They all win for you. Price A, B, or C, at least you're selling something. You're doing something. They all win for you. Because if they feel backed in the corner, you're making them do something, they're going to resist you. That's human nature. Like this elderly lady, her doctor says, you need to take this medication with your breakfast. And she resisted. She was told what to do. She knew deep down she should take it. But she wouldn't do it because she was told what to do. And everyone tried to convince her. Kids tried to convince her, wouldn't do it. So finally, out of frustration, they took to another doctor. And this doctor says, all right, here's your medication. You get to choose here. Do you want to take it with your breakfast or dinner? She's like, "Mm, dinner, done and done. She started to take it. Doctor didn't care. They all won. Who cares if you take it with your breakfast or dinner, this particular medication? They all won. They all win for you. That's key rule number one. Number two, here's the rule, the number of choices. Your best bet's two, maybe three options. Otherwise, their head will explode. An overwhelmed brain says no when there's too many choices. That's why a lot of people don't fill out or start their 401ks because there's too many options. Or the mutual fund advisor I was coaching, I was watching their presentation, like, well, based on your financial criteria, here are the 77 mutual fund that fits your needs. That's my brain exploding. That's too much. People can't handle it. You know, if you've ever shopped for perfume, How many perfumes can you smell without knowing what you just smelled? When you look at snacks or soft drinks at convenience stores, when there's too much, people shut down, they don't want to choose, and they don't choose anything. It's called choice paralysis. What it does is it reduces people's satisfaction with their decision. There's too many decisions, they shut down, and either they're not happy with what they chose because there were so many options, whether it be ice cream or snacks or cookies or anything, mutual funds, and it shuts them down. So as you look at these choices, the third thing I want to talk about is make the best option, the option you want to choose, the last one. Number three, two to three options, make it number three. And most people will choose that one. The last one, it's the best. Remember the primacy recency effect? If you haven't heard that podcast, go to the archives at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's also the place where you can get your free Persuasion IQ assessment and the free new edition of Maximum Influence. Pick up a little shipping and handling. Archives, everything you need is right there. If you want to know about coaching and advanced products, MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Got to get my plug in there. There you go. Now, sometimes it's very rare that you want the first option to be the one that they choose. And that's only if they haven't thought about it. It's the first time they've heard about it. 
then sometimes it's good to have the first option. They're going to choose it because that's the first one they heard. But if they've thought about it, they've heard about it, they've been researching it, they've been thinking about it, you want that best option to go last. And the fourth one known as DITF, one of my favorites. Oh, they're all my favorites. This is one of the 111 cells hacks. Check that out at influenceuniversity.com. DITF, known as door in the face, basically you just add a more expensive item and that means it makes the choice that you want them to make easier. So there's a study published by the Wall Street Journal about Williams and Sonoma. They had a bread maker in their catalog that wasn't performing very well. It was $275 for this bread maker. Again, not selling very well. So they introduced a similar bread maker for $429, which was at best marginally better. And they placed it next to it. This is also known as Law of Contrast and Maximum Influence. So they placed it right there in the catalog, $429 next to $275. And the one they wanted them to choose, the $275 one, the sales doubled just by adding a more expensive item. Three options, maybe the products are very similar. If we don't know what to do, we tend to choose the one in the middle, the middle priced one. So when you're launching a new product or service, sometimes it's good to have a premium product there that makes the one in the middle sell a little better. So if you have a premium product now that's not selling very well, get a more premium product and that one they say it's going to double in sales. Because really deep down, the consumer doesn't know much about bread makers, but it's in the middle. It's not the cheapest, it's not the most expensive. It must be good. That's a good deal. That's a good idea. And final one, another law of persuasion, verbal packaging, how you package the item. For example, I was flying on an airplane back when they used to feed you, back when we used to fly, and you get two choices. There was steak or chicken. And there was a new flight attendant. They were going around, everyone was getting the steak. And I overheard the conversation between two flight attendants. They said, hey, we're out of steak. There's only chicken left. What do we do? There's no option. And the flight attendant smiled and says, watch this. And I overheard her say, all right, good evening. You have two choices tonight. You have a wonderful marinated chicken breast, sauteed to perfection with garden fresh vegetables. And they just went on and on. Just described this thing, verbally packaged it. Remember, every word you use can attract or repel people. And then she said, or you could have a piece of beef. And that was it, everyone chose the chicken. So the option you want them to choose, you've gotta package it, you've gotta make it descriptive, you've gotta make it sound better. Maybe not to that extreme, but those are things that can make a huge difference. And the best way to learn this is really study restaurant menus. They don't say, yeah, fish. They might say salmon. They'll say something like, Grilled wild Pacific salmon filet, accompanied with hand-whipped Idaho potatoes, and oven-roasted broccoli florets. Okay, you see what we're going here? You see the difference? That's the key. You've got to package it. I'm telling you, options and choices, when it's used in the right way, makes you more persuasive. So, Eric, that's what I recommend. If you get that objection at the end, let them choose. Give them a few options. Again, not too many, because their head will explode. Just like this study, an upscale supermarket. They have this table with 24 gourmet things of jam. They're like, hey, try it off. Pick your favorite one. We'll give you a dollar off any one. And then it hurts sales. But then the next day when there's only six varieties, which I think is still too many, they probably would have done about better with three, sales skyrocketed. Because when they did 24 varieties, only one-tenth as many people bought the jam than when they did six varieties. And I bet you that would double again if they only did three varieties. The human brain's program to confuse mind and overwhelm mind says no. Just saying, just put it out there. It'll make a huge difference. Now, this closing issue is an issue for you. I would recommend psychology of objections. We'll make it the 
training of the week. We'll give you a special discount that'll also be posted to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Check it out, especially the very end of your presentation to make sure you get the yes. Because you're going to discover why most objections are lies, how to turn a no into a yes, how to pre-solve objections before they sabotage your sales, why people buy from somebody else after you've tried to persuade them. And when you get to your call to action, you get people to ask you, how do I get started instead of you trying to force them to do something? Powerful information based on science with a little art that'll make a huge difference. But think about your choices. Think about options. Check out MaximizeYourInfluence.com. We're also on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, and iHeart just under Maximize Your Influence. Every week I take a portion of the show and enhance it on the YouTube channel, Maximize Your Influence. Check it out. Tell your family, friends, enemies to hit like, hit subscribe, let me know how you feel at Kurt, K-U-R-T at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. But take what you've learned today. Don't say, oh, that was nice. But take what you learned today, apply it, use it, and go out and persuade with power.